You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Well, amen. You can be seated. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, looking at one verse, verse verse 12. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Now, we are beginning. You'll hear me sometimes say CBT, and what I'm referring to is the chronological Bible translation. Over here to your left, you will see a chart there, and you can look at that afterwards, and you'll be able to see a little bit of what we're going to be talking about prior to us beginning as a body of believers, the chronological Bible. Now, let me tell you, in 2017, what we're going to do as a church, we're going to, uh, and we're encouraging uh, you, we've got these Bibles here. This is, uh, this is the translation that we'll be using. This is the um, uh, chronological Bible in the New King James Version. This Bible is $10. We're asking you to buy one. Husbands and wives, do not share uh, normally I would tell you that's all right. You can share a lot of things, but you need your own Bible. Some of the younger people, teenagers, they need to earn some money around the house. They need their own Bible. Now, one thing that I like about this Bible, when you get my age, it's hard sometimes to read. I'm getting old and I have a hard time focusing on the words. I've got bifocals here. What I like about this Bible is that it is a very clear, dark-looking little... Uh, the, 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 uh, the writing, the printing is just excellent as how it's done. So I want to encourage you, if you've not bought the Bible, this uh, particular Bible, this is what we'll be going through in 2017. Now also what we have here is the uh, teacher's guide. All our Sunday school teachers will need to get this and they'll need to begin to prepare. Now what Sunday school teachers, most of them were here when Dr. Stan May and Iva May carried us through an introduction to the chronological Bible. These are, Stan is a professor. Uh, He was at the uh, Mid-America for years. He chaired the missions department there. He's a former missionary. His wife, Iva, is a prolific writer, speaker. Um, In fact, her her video series was done at Bellevue Baptist Church there in Memphis. But this is the material that teachers will get. And each week, you'll be putting together your own lesson out of the seven days of devotional reading. Now, for you that are going to be reading your Bible every day, it only takes about 15 minutes. We also have a book card here. So when you buy a Bible, you'll get a book card. And this is the 14 errors that we'll be talking about in a moment, E-R-A. And uh, the epics are a way for you to begin to learn how to navigate and not only navigate, but be able to teach the Bible. So this is the uh, bookmark, and you can pick up one of those. If you've got a Bible and you didn't get one of these, see me, and we'll make sure that you get that as well. But anyway, I'm excited about this because, you know, in a church this size and, and with people, a lot of times people will admit, I've never read through the Bible. 
You know, I've never systematically read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I, uh, Brother Jeff, I get, to, I get over there to Leviticus. I mean, I just start. I get excited. I get through Genesis. I get into Exodus. But when I hit the latter part of Exodus, and especially when I get to Leviticus and Numbers, those books usually leave me, and I'm, I'm, I'm with regret. So we're going to do it as, as, as a family. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and, and just hold them up. You got a Bible? And if you don't have a Bible, get near somebody because this Bible right now, and, and you can, uh, I'm not necessarily going to be preaching along with the lesson plan through the Bible, through CBT, but I will be alluding to it a lot in messages. But let's say it to, together. Uh, the Bible is God's story. Okay, just the Bible is God's story. Look at your neighbor and say that. The Bible is God's story. Okay, so in a, in a church like this, one of the things that I've learned, and I've been pastoring now nearly, nearly four decades, longer than some of you have been alive. One of the things that I've learned in pastoring is that every one of you have a story. Okay. In other words, every life in this room is represented by a story. In other words, we all have a story. And one of the keys to fellowship, the ability of bringing a body of believers together and making and developing fellowship, the word fellowship is the Greek word kononia. And the word kononia means, it doesn't simply mean fellowship, it means intimate communication. In other words, fellowship, a body of believers, is best when you and I are able to share our story. Everybody has a story. Now, let me tell you, I know Andrew's story. I've known Andrew a long time. I knew Andrew. Now, he's the drummer, and, and a moment ago I watched him when he was still clicking away, and Jeffrey turned around looked at him, and Andrew started laughing. And let me say something real quick. That's what you and I look like without the sound system. The sound system is the Holy Spirit. You and I are just making a lot of noise until we get plugged into the power and all of a sudden it comes alive. So here's Andy. He's still clicking away back there, but the sound is stopped and Jeffrey turns around. They start laughing and Andy's dying laughing down in the pit. I love to watch Andy. But I've known him a long time. I knew him when he used to sit right here at the front and he had green hair. Okay. And I know a lot of funny things about Andy. I know, I know deep, dark things about Andy, struggles that he's been through, battles. We've walked through some deep valleys together. One of them was the loss of his mother. His mother had cancer and she eventually died. We walked through that together. Where's WH? WH will tell you that uh, I've been with WH ever since I got here. And I know a lot of WH's story. I know a lot about WH. His birth and a lot of things. If you've ever around WH very long, you'll find out WH's story. But I also know this, WH's mother died of cancer. And she went through an agonizing cancer. And WH will tell you that uh, there were times she didn't know WH, but I never walked into the room that she didn't know her pastor. Now, what I'm saying is that every one of us we have a story, and the most difficult task of a pastor is for me to, to lead you in such a way that you become comfortable not only sharing your story with me, but sharing it with other people. Now, God has a story, 
And I want you to hold your Bibles up again because this is what? What is this? This is God's story. This book is about God. Now let me tell you something about a story. We fellowship, koronia, comes. We share our story as we are comfortable with one another. Now let me tell you, this is critical. This is a principle you hang your hat on. Nobody will share their story with you unless they trust you. Okay? Now I want you to think about that for a moment. That's a principle. Nobody, neither you nor I, nobody will share their story with somebody else unless it is a trusted relationship. Now everybody listen very closely. In the Shona language, I would say tetadayi, which means to listen closely. Put your spiritual antennas up real high. God shares his story with people that he trusts. And more so people who have put their faith and trust in him. Because see, once you and I repent of our sin, receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, once we do what Ayla and Crystal and others have done, once we do that, we enter into a kononia, a fellowship with God, an intimacy with God, and, and the ability of you and I trusting God and God trusting us. And God begins to reveal his story. So somebody may say, well, you know, I, don't, I, I read the Bible, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, the truth of the matter is, until you become uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit, it never will, right? You know my story. You know, I'm a pretty transparent kind of person. I, I've always been. It's to my detriment. If I'm mad, people know I'm mad. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty transparent. You know a lot about me. Some of you have been with me a long time, Leah. And, and, and I remember when, uh, when I came here 20 years ago, right now, 20 years ago, Crystal was probably, what was she, about four? Were you about four? How old are you, Crystal? Do what? 25. So you're about five years old? Okay, so she was about five years old, the one we baptized today, when I came here to be her pastor. And so people who know me know that I'm pretty transparent. I'm pretty open. I'm just who I am. But you that have been sitting under my teaching or preaching for very long, you know a lot about me. You know a lot about my childhood. You know a lot about marriage, my marriage. You know a lot about me as a parent raising a family. You know a lot about me when it comes to ministry. You know a lot about me when it comes to feelings, my joys, my sorrows. There's a lot of things you know about me. There's some of you, if you walked into my office and you saw the best of the Doobie Brothers, now, Haley, I know you don't understand, so you'll check with your parents afterwards, and they'll explain the Doobie Brothers to you. But if you saw an album of the Doobie Brothers sitting over there on the floor in my office, some of you might know what that is about. That goes back to a time when Sheila and I were dating in college, quick story, and I was in love with her. I was at Mississippi State. She was at Holmes Junior College there in Goodman. I was up at state. I was poor as dirt. I had no money. I was rooming with a guy named Mike Couch. I looked at Mike one day and I said, Mike, is there anything that I can sell you to get money, to get gas, to go see Sheila? He said, well, I've been eyeing that best of the Doobie Brothers. And, I, and he said, how much do you want for it? I said, I'll take $5. I sold him that album for $5. And in turn, I got $5 and went to Holmes Junior College to visit Sheila. And all God's people said amen because that was the best decision I ever made. 
Now, I was sharing that one time when one of our deacons, Jeff Lovern, Jeff heard me share that story, and Jeff thought to himself, wait a minute, I got that album. So one day, Jeff came up to the church. He said, Brother Jeff, I got a gift for you. I said, what is it? And it was the best of the Doobie Brothers. Now, I don't have no way to play it anymore, but, uh, but I've got it nonetheless. You see, we don't share our story with people unless we trust people. And the more intimate the story becomes, the more we're able to trust. Now, God has a story. The Bible is God's story. Now, everybody listen closely. This is not, my story began November 27, 1955, on a Sunday, about 8 o'clock in the evening, when an 8-pound, 4-ounce little baby was born in Niagara Falls, New York. That's when my story began. And every one of you have a birthday, and, it, and it's when your story be, began. God has no birthday. In fact, when you open God's story and you begin to read, the first thing you realize is that there is a character that is already there and has always been there in the beginning, God. Say those four words to your neighbor. Okay, so God has a story, but His story does not have to do with His birth. It has to do with His creation. And the chronological Bible is you and I walking through God's story. And as we learn God's story, look this way, we learn our own story. You know why everybody does genealogy, researching genealogy now? Because we figure if we can figure out what made our great-great-grandmother and grandfather click and what made them tick, and how they, maybe that somehow will help us better understand why we're the way we are. Genetically. Biologically. Larry Crabb said this, and I thought it was good. He said in, in, in 2006, he said, and Larry Crabb is a tremendous writer. I don't know if you study him in seminary, but a lot of your counseling courses, you deal a lot with Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb said, who's a prolific Christian writer, he said in 2006, after knowing Jesus for half a century, 50 years, he said, after years of active involvement in church, I realized I knew bits and pieces of Bible truth, lots of principles and lots of doctrine, but I did not really know the story the Bible told. How many of you feel that way? You just know bits and pieces, but you don't really grasp the entirety of God's story. Now listen to what he goes on to say. Go on to say, without story truth, without story truth, without me understanding God's story in his word, without me understanding the Bible as it fits in its entirety, listen to what he says, without story truth, I will flirt with atheism, struggle with unbelief, pray without passion except when I'm mad or angry, he said, remain devoted to my story and continue in hopeless addiction to myself. Does that make sense? 
Listen to what Iva May said. Iva May said this when she came here. She said, I had studied. Now, this woman, too, is a prolific writer, married to a seminary professor, teaches all over the world, former IMB missionary. Iva May said, I had studied and read through the Bible over decades, but did not know the story of the Bible. It's God's story. Now, let me, let me say this. Every missionary, and let me tell you something, I apologize for the amount of time I spent last week. I'm going to be sensitive to time and be more conscious of that. I promise you that. And all God's people said, no, I don't know. I, I don't say. But this is God's story, and every, where storying came about was simply this, that when a missionary went out, and begin to go into people groups who had no knowledge of the Bible, had never heard anything about Christianity, about Christ, and about what we take for granted in the Bible. The, the early the missionaries had to learn to story. Because that's how people grasp and understood truth. So the missionary had to learn how to put the Bible in story form and basically tell the story. Let me give you an example. When we went to Zimbabwe, you've heard me say this. Now see, if I said, Mwari Akafeka Munyama, but a lot of people might, if you're visiting here, you go, what? Katie, it's good to see you here. You might even remember that. But what that means is God, what does that mean? Let me, let me put somebody, uh, Andrew, I've been picking on you, so you tell me what that means. Mwari Akafeka Munyama. That's right. Mwari means God, Akafeka means dress, and Munyama means flesh. He's been, see, he knows something that somebody here who's just visiting would have absolutely no idea. They would think that I'd gone Pentecostal speaking in tongues. But a missionary had to learn the story. You had to know the story. You, ha- you couldn't know bits and pieces. You had to know the story as it unfolded in the garden, in the beginning, God, all the way to the end in Revelation. So you had to put the story together to be able to convey it. So when we went to Zimbabwe, all of a sudden I was walking around going, Chi-Chi, which means what is this? Chi-Chi, Baiberi, Chi-Chi, Vura, um, Uh, they would just put a ma in front of it and say mafoni and oh by the way the text on here right now is from Midian and his family and they said they're getting rains isn't that great but anyway when we went to the mission field they sent us out into a village in a rural setting now we get out into this rural, rural setting and we were good Americans. We had equipped ourselves with the basic necessities. We had a tent. We had sleeping bags. We had peanut butter. We knew that no matter what, we could survive on peanut butter. And so here we were. We hadn't been there hardly any time. A family of six out in the bush of Africa living in the midst of mud huts and the floors were made out of cow dung. Now the first night they built a fire. You'd hear the women out there early, I mean early in the morning sweeping. They were checking for snakes because a black mamba bites you. You got about four minutes. So you really want to make sure there's no, sta- there's no snake in the in- environment in the enclosure. But the first night, I'll never forget it. I don't know if my kids remember this or not. 
But we gathered around a fire because a fire is the African's TV. They just look at the fire and they tell stories. And the missionary began to grasp and understand that in order to reach the Shona people, though I could go chi-chi, and I would begin to learn munyama, I would begin to learn their language, there was one thing, I had one thing that I didn't have, I did not have the good grasp of God's story from Genesis to Revelation. So I needed, like every missionary, to learn the story, God's story, my Bible as it unfolds as a story. Now let me say this, You are, every one of you who call yourself a Christian, you are a missionary. You are a missionary where you go to school. You're a missionary where you work. You're a missionary in your family. You're a missionary among your neighbors and your community because you are in a day in America that is post-Christian and for a lot of people they no longer have a knowledge of God's story. So you've got to know God's story so that if you're sitting in a camp of homeless, you can sit down, pull up a, a, a bucket, and you can tell a group of homeless men and women the story as it unfolds in God's Word. That's what we'll be doing in 2017. And you may say, well, why is that important? Listen to this statement. Why is that important to us? Because Bible literacy and obedience to God's Word are paramount to the spiritual health of God's people. Look at Hebrews 12, 12. Watch what it says here. The writer of Hebrews said this. He said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, he said, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. No, that's, I'm not in the wrong place. Where am I at? Uh, I am lost, lost, lost. Let me see. That's not what I want. Do what? 412, yeah, Okay. Maybe it's that sinus medicine. It's still got me a little messed up. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God, the story of God, God's Word, Shokonwamwadi, as we say in Zimbabwe, for the Word of God is what? What is it? It's what? It's living. It's quick. It's alive. And it's active in the NIV. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. In other words, no matter how you swing it, it cuts. It penetrates even to the dividing of what? Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges, what does the Bible do? What does it judge? It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of where? Of the heart. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So this is the Bible, and so you and I have got to learn it. It's the key. Let me read that statement again. Bible literacy and obedience to God's Word are paramount to the spiritual health of God's people. Now, when a baby is born, what do you feed a baby? Feed them milk, right? um, You know, Sheila nursed all four of ours, so it was real easy for me. I was 100% in favor of nursing. Because I had some guy that told me, he said, look, this, you want to really encourage this? And if you want to get up warm bottles in the middle of the night, that's up to you. But look, I'm telling you, this is the best way to do it. <laughs> and so I said, that sounds good to me. Sheila, stay with it. I know they're colicky. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to help you. Just keep nursing. 
we're going to save some money. I meant we're going to, they'll be healthier. You know, now sometimes moms can't help it. Their health uh, after birth and everything, they can't do that. And, but every mom feeds their baby milk. Paul talks about it in Corinthians. Paul said, I want to give you meat, but I'm still giving you milk. Now let me ask you something. Imagine a teenager, he's getting ready to walk out to the car to go to high school, and his mom says, hey honey, you forgot your bottle. Well, that don't even make sense. Imagine a guy working at Nissan, he pulls out his, his lunch pail, and he opens it up, and he pulls out a bottle with a nipple and starts sucking on it. You see, you're laughing because you think, that looks silly, that's foolish. Nobody does that. Yeah, we do. We do it every day spiritually. We do it every day. God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, has so much to tell us in His story, but the reality is we are still feeding on bottled milk. And God's going, man, I wish I could give you some meat today. There are some things in God's Word that when you read it, you think, I'll never forget that. Wow. You see, so the Bible, Bible literacy, the ability to understand and to grasp God's story, in essence, is more than milk. It becomes the meat of our life. Now, real quickly, you see this chart, and I think, um, Eric, John, y'all were going to put the chart up here. But this chart, in essence, is going to help you through 2017 to grasp and understand the Bible. Each one of those squares will remind you of an area of the Bible and it moves on a timeline chronologically. The top line goes to the right, then it comes back to the left where the chain is and it goes all the way to the end there. The chart is in essence taking the Bible, God's story, and dividing it into heirs, epics, or ages, or periods of time. Let me give you an example. Uh, if I gave you, a, and, and don't give me this for Christmas, because I'm not a puzzle man at all. I got too much I want to do other than putting puzzles together. But, uh, and some of you, oh, I already got him that for his birthday. <laughs> but, you get a 5,000-piece puzzle. Yeah, how many of you have ever even seen one? You know, you get a 1,000-piece, 5,000. I think they make them even bigger. And you pick out a table, and you throw all those pieces out on that table. You turn them color up so you can, you can look at it. Now, you have, and I have no idea how to put a 5,000-piece puzzle together without what? What do you have to have? If you want to make somebody mad, give them a puzzle and, 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 and take and, and peel the picture off the front cover. You see, you've got to have the cover because the cover and that picture there gives you an idea of what the puzzle looks like when it's completed. Let me tell you something. You and I need to understand something. Jesus Christ is the puzzle completed. He tells us real quick what we ought to look like and what the whole thing's all about. Real quickly in a nutshell. It is all about Jesus. 
I was in a funeral yesterday. I was preaching my brother-in-law's funeral. 58 years old. He died of a massive heart attack. He worked a white-collar job with Volkswagen. He was out in Dallas. He was on a business assignment. He got on a treadmill in a hotel, and he collapsed with a heart attack. They tried to bring him back 30 minutes, finally declared him dead at the hospital. Yesterday, I was preaching his funeral. There were songs sang, people shared testimony about his life, family, but there was one thing I never heard. I did not hear the name of Jesus. And it was going long, and I was thinking to myself, because I felt so strongly there were things that I needed to say about Christ, but I was thinking, we've, we've spent a lot of time here. It's gone longer. A lot of people stood up and talked, and it was like, it's like Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, don't you cut it short. You get up here and tell them what you need to tell them, what I told you to say. You see, God's story, we can sum it up in one word, one name. Let's say it together, one name, Jesus. That's it. That's his story. So God, God's story, this Bible, we've got a, we've got a thousand piece puzzle. We look at the cover. Now, once you put the cover out there and you begin to get an idea of what the picture looks like, then what do you do with the pieces of the puzzle? You've got 5,000 pieces scattered across the table. Now, what do you do? You begin to separate. What are you separating out of the puzzle? You're, set, you're separating the corners and the edges. What you're trying to do is put the corner and the edges together because once you get the outline, then you begin to sort out colors, landscape. You're looking at the cover. You're looking at your, your, your outline now and you're beginning to figure out how to put it together. Now, here's the problem with you and I. The problem with you and I is that for most of us, our entire life, we're just basically picking up a few pieces of the puzzle. I got, I got these 17 pieces of the puzzle out of a 5,000-piece puzzle. Now, this is, a, look, this is a million pieces. Okay? So this is a million-piece puzzle. So the cover is Jesus. But if I'm going to figure out how to put this puzzle together, I've got to figure out how to do the corners and the outline. Now, here's the key. This picture that you hear here and what Eric is putting up here, this is God's story. This is, in essence, the corners and the outline of the Bible divided up in such a way that you and I can learn God's story in 2017 and be able to put it to practice. Even think about the word history. History. His what? Story. So what you have here, you have 14 epics, errors, timeline. You have a timeline here. And the Bible flows along this timeline. And the first one, what do you think the first error is? It's creation. There's creation. In essence, you see a blue line coming down, and that's God speaks. God speaks. He speaks in the midst of nothingness. That's the power of his word. God speaks the universe into existence. Now, science calls it the Big Bang. I was listening to John Lennox, a math professor, an unbelievable writer, uh, a gifted uh, Irish man who was a professor at, at uh, Oxford University. And he was talking about this idea of the seven days of creation. But one of the things that he made clear, and I was listening to Robbie Zacharias, you've heard me allude to this before, 
is that God, in essence, spoke into nothing and brought the universe in a moment in the speaking of his word. That's the power of God's word. God said, let there be light. And it doesn't say, let there be light. In the Hebrew, it says, and in, in, in Andy's in Hebrew right now, the word, it actually says, be light. It's a command. Be light. And immediately there's light. So God speaks and it comes into existence. Ravi Zechariah said he was at a he was in a he was at Oxford University. He was sitting in a in a in a lecture where a scientist, very prominent scientist, said, talking about the Big Bang theory. He said the Big Bang theory. He said in a picosecond, a picosecond, which is such a minute part of one second that it's mathematically impossible for us to even comprehend. In a picosecond, P-I-C-O-second, mathematical scientific term, he said there was such preciseness in order that it had, had it not the universe been in precise order within one picosecond, it would, the, the universe would have literally went in absolute disarray and chaos and exploded back in on itself. He said, that's God. So the first epic, the first air, the first thing that you and I have to understand, and that blue arrow is God speaking, and that red arrow is God acting. Because God speaks, then God acts. And then finally, the picture itself is kind of the third element. Now there, and I'm not even, we're, we're going to close in a moment, we're not even going to hardly get to the creation error. But the creation error, take your Bible, God's story, uh, is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, God had no beginning. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1, 1, to Genesis 11, 27. That's the creation error. That's the first part of the puzzle that we're trying to understand. Now that's the most critical, in some ways, the most critical part of the Bible. It's the foundation of God's story. If we fail to grasp the creation error, that first error there, that first epic or time period, then in essence we fail to understand. We have a creator, we have characters, we have conflict, we have a cure, we have a covenant. All of that is contained within the beginning, the introduction. Let me give you an example. In preaching class, one of the things that you're taught over and over again is you may blow a part of the sermon, but you don't want to blow the introduction. If you blow the introduction... What happens is you lose people and they stay lost through the whole sermon. So what is important, whether it's an illustration, a story, or whatever it is, you've got to hold people's attention in the introduction. If they don't get the introduction to the message, then you've lost them through the remainder of the sermon. I remember Dr. V.L. Stanfield, he taught the art of preaching. He was a preaching professor at New Orleans. He was the one that... Andy, I was telling you, he was asked to revise. John A. Broadus's book on preaching. It's one of the classics. He was asked to revise it. Dr. V.L. Stanfield said he was preaching at First Baptist Church, New Orleans. He said that he blew the introduction. He lost his congregation. So in the middle of the message, now this is being televised over the metro New Orleans area. 
in the middle of the message, this preaching professor and prolific writer himself, he's at the pulpit, he's preaching. Now listen what he does. In the middle of preaching, he never stops, he reaches down, he pulls his shoe off. And he sets his shoe up on the podium, on the pulpit, where he's preaching the First Baptist New Orleans. He kept right on going. He didn't even, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't draw attention. He didn't say, I'm taking my shoe off for this reason. I'm putting it here. He took his shoe off. He set it up on the pulpit and he kept preaching. And because people were so enamored, I mean, immediately, if I pulled my boot off and set my boot right here on the table, you're going to think, well, he's, that sinus medicine finally got him. One thing I'll have is your attention. You and I have got to understand that as we go through the chronological Bible, that that first epic, that first era, that first time period is Genesis 1, 1 through Genesis eleven twenty seven. That deals with the creation. And if we don't understand the introduction to God's story, the preface, then we, we, we fall all, stumble all the way through the Bible. There are only five stories within the creation, five stories. First of all, there is creation itself. God creates. He sets the universe in order. Precise, meticulous order with the sound of His voice. The Bible says it uses four words when it talks about Him creating the stars. He creates the stars as if they're a mobile hanging over a crib. He creates a perfect environment and then He creates man. And He creates us in His image. He reaches down in the dust and the clay of the earth and the divine hand of God forms the fashion. He fashions a man like you ever seen these potters with the potter's wheel? You know, Sheila says, I would love to have a potter's wheel. I would love to try that. You know, that has got to be very, very difficult with a lump of clay spinning like that. And you'll watch them. They'll raise a vase up. I mean, like that. And it just comes up there. They'll do a little lip around it, do a little design in it. You're sitting there fascinated by it. Well, what is fascinating is how God created man. DNA. There's not thousands, not millions. There are billions of bits of information in the genetic code of every person in this room. Albert Einstein said this when he scratched his head, this Jew looking at the creation of man. He said, God is of such mathematical genius that there's no way to comprehend him or to understand him. And God creates and God places man there. But then the next story is the fall. He gives man a, he gives man instructions. God gives promises. He wants man to go out, be fruitful, and multiply, have families, uh, you know. And, and, and he gives man. But he tells man in a perfect environment, he says, men, he says to Adam, he says, Adam, he said, listen to me closely. The whole garden is yours. You can do with it whatever you want. But Adam, understand this. There's one tree, never touch it, never go. Just Adam, stay away. Never eat its fruit because in the day you do, you will die, die. In the Hebrew, he basically said it twice, meaning you will die physically and you will die spiritually. You will die, die. 
And God told Adam, he said, Adam, I'm giving you dominion over everything, and on the, over every animal, every creature, every creeping thing. And the first thing to creep into the garden was Lucifer. In the Hebrew, it means light bearer. And serpent, Satan, Lucifer creeps in. And rather than Adam having dominion over every creeping thing, including Satan, he comes under the authority of his enemy. Once he's under, listen, you may say, why is that important? Because in God's story, anytime you and I come under the authority of anything other than Christ, we're in a crisis outside of the picture of marriage where a wife is to submit and come under the authority of her husband or the church where the body of believers comes under the authority of their pastor. But ultimately, our final authority is the Word of God. Adam failed to exercise dominion and authority over his enemy. His enemy divided Adam and Eve and divided them from God. And we have the fall of man. And in that moment, who's the first one to kill in creation? God. Not Cain killing Abel. God. God killed. God shed blood because he was telling his story. And his story has always been about this. When there's rebellion against his promises, when we move out from under the authority of his word, when we do that, and we exercise our own authority, or we're under the authority of God's enemy, then the reality is that sin, and sin has to be covered, and sin can only be covered by blood. God is telling his story, and his story is about Jesus. Cain and Abel are left with sin and rebellion, God gives them the consequences of it. Two more things and I'll close real quickly. We have the story of Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve. And it's not long before they come to bring a sacrifice. Abel comes and he's gone through the flock and he's picked out the best of the flock because the father, Adam and Eve, had sat him down and said, Abel, remember this, son. When we sin, the first sin, remember this. When we sinned, God killed, God shed blood to cover our sin. And Abel, the, the only way to please a, the holy God is the shedding of blood. So Abel, you go out and find the best of your, your lambs. Why? Because the story is all about Jesus, the perfect lamb of God. Abel comes, he lays that sacrifice, he does that, and then Cain comes, he just kind of goes out there and hacks a few uh, stalks of wheat, grabs a bundle of them up, comes and throws them down at the altar, and God says to Cain, he says, Cain, because Cain is mad, because his offering doesn't please God, Cain, Abel's does, and Cain is mad. And God says to Cain, he says, Cain, listen to me, Cain, listen to me. Cain, let me get your attention. The enemy is at your door. And he wants to have dominion over you, Abel. I mean, Cain. And if you don't get, if you don't allow, if you don't learn to master and control this emotion of anger, if you don't get control of this, you're going to do something you'll regret, possibly. Because sin is crouching at your door. 
Cain went out, he found Abel. Abel asked him how it had gone. He knew he had been in, in, a, in a time of dialogue with God. And Cain kills Abel. And that's sin. And we'll stop there. This past Thursday, I went to a luncheon. You can go ahead and stand. This past Thursday, I went to a luncheon. And uh, this is kind of, they have business people and different individuals there. And um, they had uh, a guy by the name of D.D. Lewis. D.D. Lewis is a star out of Mississippi State. We had to go back a long ways to get a star. (laughs) No, I'm teasing. We got Dak. Thank God we got Dak. But anyway, D.D. Lewis was an outstanding football player from Mississippi State. He was drafted by the Cowboys. In fact, he tells this story. He said that Tom Landry, he played when Tom Landry was there. And uh, Haley, if you don't know who Tom Landry is, see your parents. They, they, he's about the same time as the Doobie Brothers. So anyway, and I'm joking. But anyway, uh, Tom Landry, great co- coach from years ago. A lot of the great names now are his, the fruit of his coaching. D.D. Lewis said he was the run of 440. He said, man, he, he said he was drinking, boozing it up, running around, drugs. He said his life was just an absolute chaotic mess coming out of college. He said there was no way he could run a 440. He got out there, he couldn't get around. He said that Tom Landry, this Hall of Famer coach, coach of the Dallas Cowboys, D.D. Lewis said he walked by and old Tom Landry, popped him on the rear with his clipboard, said, boy, I don't think you're going to make it. D.D. Lewis said, but up in the crowd, up in the stands where people would come, just people would come to watch the tryouts. It's like the combine, you know, now but back years ago. He said a guy, had never met him before. This guy got up, came out of the stands, athletic, sharp-looking dude. Never seen him before, never saw him again. He looked at D.D. and he said, son, he said, I'm going to get you around this track. He said, we're going to run this 440 together. I'm going to pace you. You stay with me. D.D. Lewis said that he ran, and he ran that 440 like he had never run it before. Ultimately, he ended up being on the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys. He made the team. He didn't just make the team, he was an all-star. You know how many Super Bowl, Will and Wes, you know how many Super Bowl rings, do you know how many Super Bowl rings this guy had at that meeting? He had five. Five Super Bowl rings. He played in 27 division playoffs. But he said this in his testimony. While he was boozing it up, drinking, living an ungodly life, running from God, he said God was running to him. And he had the implication, he he just implied, he just said, I just felt in my heart that that was an angel of the Lord. And he said over time, broken, repentant, he gave his life to Christ. Now, Kevin, now he's... uh, kind of an overweight guy, gray hair. He's got a real sneaky smile on his face. Like he was talking. You don't know whether he's being dumb, playing dumb, or whether he's just really that way. But he was talking about when Saul, King Saul, talking about Saul, the, you know, King Saul, when he took on the Philadelphians (laughs) rather than the Philistines. And then he'd say stuff like that. You look at you, you got a smile. But Jesus Christ was all over him. Listen to this. He didn't have a Super Bowl ring on his hand. 
Because I kept looking. I was trying to see if he had one of those rings on his finger. You know, this boy, we saw the case with the five rings. I kept thinking, well, surely he's got a ring on his finger. You know. And, I did, and then I go out there, and he's standing there, just overweight guy, friendly, just exudes Christ, and he's got a little wood box there, and there's all five of the Super Bowl rigs. You can get, your, you can get a picture of them. In other words, what he was saying to us, none of that meant anything. What meant the most to him was Jesus Christ living in his heart and life. Now, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are today. But the only way you can understand God's story is you've got to have God's Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for you now. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to pray with me. And then I want you to come if Christ speaks to your heart. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask you now, dear Lord, to speak to the hearts of men and women in this room. Father, we pray, dear Lord, that you would do what only you can do. And that is, dear Lord, come into their life But Lord, I know this, that it's only when we repent of our sin, when we simply say, Lord Jesus, come in, forgive me, cleanse me. So Lord, I pray right now, there's a man or a woman, a young person, they don't know today whether they're saved or not, that they would come today. Reggie will be here. Ledge will be here. I'll be here. I pray as Sheila moves to the prayer area just to take time. And there may be somebody here that says, uh, Sheila, or maybe uh, to someone, I need somebody to pray for me right now. Maybe our ladies would be more comfortable going to Sheila. Maybe to Tamara, who will be here at the front. God, would you speak to anyone today who needs to make a decision for you? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.